0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Petcast by Pep Panion. Um, Today we're going to be having a fascinating conversation with Ian Wright. Ian is the head of ESCAP UK and Ireland, Ireland and guidance director um, of, on, on Europe. Um, So I'd love for the listeners to get to know a little bit more about you, Ian, and the amazing work that you do at SCap.
1: Well, thank you, and uh, thanks for the invite. Um, So I should say, first of all, I'm, I'm a vet, so, you know, I treat sort of all sorts of small furry creatures, cats, dogs... Um, birds a little bit as well in in practice, occasionally something more exotic, but not not very often, Um, up in Fleetwood, so up in wonderful Lancashire on the coast. Um, As well as being a vet, I have a special, um, I like to think of it as an interest, in no way an obsession, the interest (laughs) with parasites. So, you know, the creepy is that cats and dogs and other animals get that perhaps we don't like to dwell on too much, we don't like to think about, um, but all, all cats and dogs carry. Um, So, you know, because I have this interest, I did a master's in parasitology and I've carried on doing research in, in practice since I graduated. It's gradually led to me becoming head nationally of an organization called ESCAP, which is the European Scientific Council for Companion Animal Parasites. A bit of a mouthful, and hence the acronym. <laughs> um, and we give, essentially, we give free parasite advice. So we have a website um, both for pet owners um, and for vets in practice as well. And um, well, we give, we give advice on all sorts of aspects of parasite controls, so things like fleas, worms, um, you know, just ways um, that you can manage them, signs that you can look out for. Um, but also, you know, lots of advice now regarding things like pet travel um, and pet importation. Um, some people are rescuing pets from abroad. Before lockdown, lots of us used to enjoy taking our pets abroad, and I'm sure we'll do again. When we go outside the UK, there's the potential that we're going to meet all sorts of exotic parasites, uh, things like exotic ticks, um, exotic worms, um, you know, that we just need to be aware of. So it's just this wonderful resource. We have maps for across Europe, show you which parasites are living where. Um, but we also have a free um, advice um sort of service as well so you can put in email questions you know any aspect of parasite control that you don't understand um, you can ask us about the only thing that you can't ask us about is specific questions about your pet cases So if your pet has a parasite or you think it might have one, we can't, because of veterinary rules, we can only comment on specific cases under our care. So I can give all sorts of exciting advice about parasites in general, but we can't comment on individual cases.
0: That's amazing. And for those of you who are not familiar with Escout's work, um, definitely check them out. It's such a useful resource. And we are very pleased to say that we will be integrating their amazing work into the app to make it even more accessible for you to access whenever and wherever you need um, parasite advice or information. Um, I thought it'd be very useful for um, owners who are Um, kind of new to pet ownership or would like to know more um, about some of the most common parasites that dogs and cats encounter?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, those of us that have had pets before are probably used to us taking them into our vets and, you know, they'll get their annual vaccinations against various sort of viruses and, and bacteria. Um, but you're also likely to be encouraged to leave with a worming tablet uh, or spot on of some sort um, and a flea treatment. And, you know, it, it would be completely reasonable to think, well, why, why is this the case? You know, what what might my cat or dog have? Uh, and the reason that 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 wormer and flea treatment is so uniformly prescribed and sort of uh, recommended to pet owners is because it's very difficult to avoid getting um, roundworms, mostly, uh, and fleas, uh, for reasons that I'll briefly explain. So the most common roundworm in the UK is a worm called Toxicara that, you know, some of the listeners may be sort of vaguely familiar with. So this is the worm that's famous for causing eye problems. For, for getting to the back of the eye, um, you know, occasionally causing blindness, um, sort of seeing difficulties, um, and this is this is what it's really got headlines for. Um, I mean, that's a very dramatic result of people being exposed to infection. Most people who are exposed to infection, nothing that exciting happens. But nevertheless, um, you know, it is a worm that we can potentially catch. So if we did get exposed to it it can cause problems by migrating through our body so the one where it gets stuck at the back of the eye is something called ocular larval migrans everything's got a posh name you know (laughs) we have to do that but essentially that's where the worm wanders to the back of the eye um we also get something called visceral larval migrans where it wanders all over the body so it could cause breathing difficulties abdominal pain headaches. Um, but there have also been links with Toxocara to um, epilepsy, um, dermatitis, um, asthma, um, learning difficulties. So I think mean, it's fair to say that if you're exposed to a lot of this worm, it's probably not good for you. Uh, and you know, there's the potential for you to be exposed over time. Um, because what happens is um, these adult worms live in the tummies in the guts of cats and dogs, and they pass eggs into the environment. So these eggs are microscopic. You can't see them. They're in the in the feces that have been passed, like well, they not not a very nice sport, but there they go. Um, and then they get dispersed into the soil. And they're not immediately infective. So you can't get Toxicara from fresh dog and cat poo that's been passed. But what happens is they mature like a fine wine in the environment. They get a little worm inside that egg. Uh, And then if we accidentally or the kids, they often deliberately eat soil, um, then we can develop the worm and on it goes. Um, These eggs, as well as being microscopic, are very sticky. So it's very easy for them to get from the soil and the faeces onto gardening equipment, uh, maybe on the end of your pen that you're absent-mindedly sucking while doing your allotment planning. Um, you can get onto children's toys very easily and dog toys. So these eggs get passed around in the environment after being passed in the faeces of cats and dogs. Um, and the thing is, it's really, really common in puppies and kittens. So your vet will tell you to worm your puppy and kitten monthly, and that's because they get these worms from their mum. So in the case of dogs, they cross the placenta at birth. Even if your dog's been really well-wormed, some of these worms will reactivate and cross the placenta um, and others will go into the milk. And in the case of cats and dogs, they'll be passed in the milk and they get infected that way. So. As a result, you've got almost 100 percent of puppies and kittens with worms, which is why we recommend this monthly treatment to eliminate them. When you get to about six months old, a bit of natural immunity kicks in um, and a lot of these worms are shifted. Um, And then some cats and dogs will shed these worms, worm eggs on and off their whole lives so you know for some dogs and cats that'll be very occasional um but for others that go out rummaging hunting eating small furry creatures that have eaten the eggs you know particularly cats you can imagine living the dream uh, out there then you know their shedding is going to be much higher and much more frequent so you know roundworms are kind of there in the back and you know you may be thinking oh gosh that's terrible don't don't want to touch me cat and dog now but you know it's very very easy to avoid infection so by worming regularly we know that four times a year worming reduces egg output over the lifetime of cats and dogs so you know by doing that by really good hand hygiene so washing your hands um, washing fruit and vegetables that you're not going to cook so it's very tempting to just pull that spring onion you've grown out of the ground and just think oh I'll just have a little nibble on that but if the cat's had a number two in your allotment you might just want to rinse it you know before eating it you know very simple precautions and covering of sand pits um, so cats don't defecate in them and then kids don't play in them you know so simple precautions um you know can help to really eliminate that risk of being exposed and if your cats and dogs really are living that dream, if they're hunting a lot, or if they're spending a lot of time in contact with young children, then I would treat them for toxicara every month. <laughs> so I mean that's the most common, that's the most common parasite on the inside. The most common parasite on the outside are fleas. Uh, mm. And of course, that's something that, again, we're very familiar with a lot of our cats and dogs getting. Um, there was a big, big survey looking at fleas um, a couple of years ago in the UK that found about one in four cats have fleas and about one in six dogs. And I mean, that's despite our best efforts um, to get rid of them. They're, they're pretty, pretty hardy. And most vets and certainly we at SCAP nationally in the UK recommend treating all cats and dogs for fleas all year round and the reason for that is that there's no easy way to avoid an infestation getting into your home so they've looked um, at all sorts of risk factors for you know things that you might consider you might think well perhaps you know my cat or dog have this lifestyle. And then they're not going to be exposed to fleas. But it doesn't matter whether your cat and dog moves indoors, outdoors, whether it's male, female, whether it's got a short coat, long coat, whether it's winter or summer, there's still this background risk over time that you're going to be exposed to fleas. And it is much more likely you're going to get exposed in the summer. Your your pets are going to spend more time outdoors, it's warmer, it's more humid. But What we've done with lovely centrally heated homes is we've created a winter environment that fleas can live in right through the winter as well. And I think a lot of people consider fleas to be like lice. So, you know, lice you can defeat mechanically. I've done this with my own kids. Mm -hmm. So think about lice, you know, they live on one person and they they get transmitted through close contact. But there are no life stages or very few for lice in the home. So if you keep killing the lice mechanically with a lice comb uh, or either you know, a sort of you know drowning shampoo or sort of you know product, you can gradually eliminate those, eliminate those lice and they will die without you having to use insecticide. The difference with fleas is that 95% of flea life stages are living in your home. So a single flea can lay 50 eggs a day. So you get one flea on your cat, it comes into your house, 24 hours later it's laid 50 eggs. That's just one flea. Um, and then those flea hatch and you get lots of larvae in your home and they feed off flea poo. It's not a very nice thought, but <laughs> that's been pooed into your cat and dog's coat and then it's been shed into the home. The larvae love a bit of that, love eating mum and dad's poo. (laughs) Then they eventually, like most flies, or, you know, fly-related creatures, then pupate. So they will pupae in your home. And then when you and your pets move around your home, the pupae sense that movement, they emerge, a new flea jumps onto you, and the life cycle is complete. A lot of people think, though, therefore, if their cat never goes out or if their dog rarely goes out, then those fleas aren't going to get into your house. But it's very easy for them to be activated outside. So cats will very frequently pick up fleas by sticking their head in animal burrows, uh, having a little investigation and activating lots and lots of people. Um, but any uh, dog out on a walk or, or it's, it's a horrible thought, but us out on a walk can activate these pupae. They'll get onto our clothes or they'll get onto the coats of pets and then they'll be brought into the home. And then if you've got pets in the home that they can breed on, then off goes the life cycle and they're away very, very quickly. And unfortunately, once you've got an infestation established in your house, It takes at least three months to eliminate it, often longer, um, even doing everything right, you know, treating the pets, hoovering in the home, you know, hot washing bedding, treating the house with insecticides, doing all of these things takes a long time to eliminate an infestation um, once it's established. Um, so which is why, you know, prevention is better by using a sort of routine insecticide on pets, then we can stop those infestations from establishing. And I think any any of the listeners who've had to live with a flea infestation know it's not very nice. We, <laughs> there we go. So we yeah, can receive okay. bites, <laughs> um, you know, they're hopping around, you know, you get the larvae in your couch, you know, and it, it, they can cause really quite severe irritation to people but also sometimes to the pets that they're living on. But they also transmit um, pathogens that we can catch. So uh, pathogens like Bartonella that can cause chronic illness. Um, Something called Rickettsia felis has been found in the UK, causes an unpleasant illness. So, you know, these, these aren't parasites that you want to be living with in your house over time. If, if you can avoid it. So those are the big two, really. It's sort of Toxicara on the inside and it's fleas on the outside. So those are the two that we really recommend year-round treatment for. And then there are lots of other parasites that your lifestyle or where you live in the UK might make it more likely for you to be exposed to and in that situation your vet might recommend you know additional parasite prevention for those parasites what we call a risk-based approach so rather than just treating for everything they'll ask you a few questions see what your lifestyle is going to predispose you to and then there'll be some targeted killing uh, and you know we'll try and get those parasites under control.
0: That was amazing and some really, really great top tips and I've never been more excited about parasites in my life. <laughs> because
1: they are exciting. Yes, they are. Deep down, <laughs> deep down, they have a certain kind of beauty when you sort of look at them for long enough. You come really to appreciate them.
0: Amazing. And lots of essential tips there to take away from that. I know that a lot of people are very... Uh, cautious and, and worried about their animals developing lungworm um, because of yes. the severity of yeah. the effects that that can have on an animal and hence are, are taking steps to be proactive about preventing that. Would you be able to explain yeah. a little bit about uh, lungworm for the users?
1: Yes. So, so lungworm is actually a little bit of a misleading term. It, it, the, the lungworm, um, when we talk about lungworm, when you see the ads on the telly uh, and you're worried about your dog eating a slug and then getting very sick, um, that lungworm is called angiostrongulus vasorum, which is a bit of a mouthful. That's why we call it lungworm. Mm-hmm. Um, the most common sign it causes is a cough. Um, so actually most dogs that get lungworm will develop a sort of very treatable cough um, and will develop that sort of, those sort of ongoing sort of you know respiratory difficulties as a result of infection. That's why we call it lungworm. The adult worms though actually live in the arteries um, and in some of the chambers of the heart. So technically it's a heartworm but you know it's, it's a technicality for those of us who, who love going looking for these, these parasites. Like I say, most dogs that get it are going to get better, you know, with treatments, you know, or they're going to naturally eliminate those parasites. Um, I mean, some dogs that get lungworm don't get sick at all. The the reason that we worry about lungworm is that a minority of them are going to develop quite serious disease. So that can be bleeding, um, uncontrolled bleeding, what we call a coagulopathy, um, and rarely they can die suddenly from blood clots Um, they can also get neurological signs so you know they might get awkward twitches or head tilts a loss of balance um, with lungworm but you know it's really the bleeding that, that is one of the things that we really worry about with the parasites so if you're in an area which has a lot of lungworm then routine prevention for is, is going to be recommended by your vets and there are some you know really really sort of badly hit parts of the country so greater London for instance um 74 percent of foxes which is the natural reservoir have the parasites that's you know three in four foxes um, and the way the parasite is spread is it's passed in the faeces, but then those faeces are consumed by slugs and snails, um, occasionally by amphibians like frogs as well. And hard as it is to believe, some cats and dogs, or well, some dogs, sorry, in the case of angiostromulus, love eating slugs and snails, particularly <laughs> slugs, uh, and particularly some of the smaller slugs. Um, So they'll eat those slugs and then the parasite will migrate around the body and complete its life cycle. So it's really, like I say, it's those dogs, some dogs that just love eating slugs, you'll know, you know, those of you who own those dogs, you know, love a bit of slug eating action. Um, But these slugs can very easily be accidentally consumed, so some dogs love eating grass, um, and you know some of the slugs we're talking about are smaller than a 5p piece, so they can easily be eaten along with the grass. And even worse for us, uh, is that some dogs, uh, including my own, one of my own, Stanley, loves eating feces. Now, <laughs> he likes eating sheep and horse feces because of that lovely distinct flavour. Uh, but some dogs like eating um, dog feces. Um, and that is something, dog and cat feces, fox feces, is something that some slugs are particularly attracted to. They love to ingest. So the slugs are eating the poo. And then the dog comes along and eats the poo, and in a sort of, you know, strangely ironic event, the slug, the feces-eating the slug is consumed as well, yeah. um, and the dog can get lungworm as a result. So... The reason this is important is that there are lifestyle factors and there are geographic factors that make infection more likely. So there are some parts of the world, you know, some parts of the UK, where you know lungworm is comparatively rare. And you may go to your vets, and your vets might say, Well, you know, we we look for this regularly, you know, we test for it regularly, we just don't see it. So, in which case, you know, geographically it might be at very low risk. If you're in greater London, that risk is going to be much, much, much higher. Um, There are other hot spots around the country. It was originally in the southwest, in Wales, southeast, and then it's moved with sort of, you know, as time's gone on, it's moved northwards up the country. So it's very sporadically spread. So it's well worth talking to you a about whether it's a problem locally. I would say anywhere in the country, if your dogs are voracious Poo eater, grass eater, slug eater, you might want to think about cover for that reason. Um, the way to think about it, you know, if you think you've got a big sea of infected slugs out there, your dog only has to have one weak moment, really, one misdemeanor, and it could get infected. Where if it's in Fleetwood where we have very little lungworm, you know, you might have to hoover up, you know, hundreds and hundreds of slugs to get infected. So, you know, it's a combination of those two factors. Absolutely a discussion to have with your vet. All all the products to prevent lungworm are licensed products that a vet has to provide or provide a prescription for. So if you're worried about lungworm, the opposite I mean you know if you think you may be on worm prevention you think you might not need it then you know have a chat to your vet uh, about your pet's lifestyle.
0: Absolutely and a topic I really I think our listeners and and myself are quite interested in um, hearing your uh, expert knowledge on is recently there's been a lot of um, articles and news stories out about how anti-parasiticides, so your flea and wormers are affecting, having a negative effect on the environment and in particular aquatic life. Um, How can we be proactive about treating our animals to prevent both human and animal diseases um, whilst also looking out for the environment?
1: okay so i think you know the first thing to say is that you know we do need to have a close eye on this so there was this study recently that got a lot of publicity that found um, a couple of different um, products that are used in flea treatments in sort of uk waterways and these products are used in agriculture and horticulture as well so you know we have to sort of bear in mind they may be coming from a variety of sources but nonetheless, you know, we do use. I mean, by the advice that ESCAP gives, you know, a lot of insecticides and um, sort of parasiticides, so some products for worms as well, in in our pets, you know, day in, day out. And, if we're going to do that, you know, we only want to do it if it's necessary. And also we want to try and make sure as much of it stays on and in the pet as possible and not accidentally wash down the sink uh, or disposed of in the wrong way. So the first thing to say is that it's important to talk to your vet. You know, that's the thing I would encourage you, not just because I'm a vet, but, you know, mm-hmm. I would encourage you to talk to your vet and, you know, talk to the whole vet team. Um, nurses are very knowledgeable as well and you know the whole practice team is going to have been you know well trained well versed in you know the sort of parasites that are present locally and the sort of prevention that you might need so you know have that conversation you know go in and say look you know i want my pet to be healthy you know which parasites should i should i have prevention for? and, you know, try and target your treatment in that way. So, you know, at ESGAP, we very much promote this risk-based strategy. You know, you shouldn't be treating for everything all of the time. Your lifestyle and where you live should inform what parasites you have prevention for. Unfortunately, at the moment on current evidence, I mean, you know, always reviewing what, what we're doing, but on current evidence, For fleas, we still believe that you need that year-round treatment, so you're going to have year-round treatment for fleas, and if you're going to have that minimum year-round worming for Toxicara, then we want to do everything we can to try and prevent those treatments getting from your pet into the environment. best way to do that with the flea treatments is advice so what i would encourage you to do you know some people like to go to their vets and i would encourage you to go to your vets we're very well trained you know most of us are lovely and quite happy to sort of chat about these things me perhaps more than most you know everyone nonetheless and you know go and you know have a chat about first of all which is going to be the easiest product for you to give you know, products now come in spot-on form, in tablet form, in collar form. You know, it's, it's important that you as a pet owner are comfortable administrating whatever you're going to put on your pet. You know, you don't want to, you know, if your cat hates having pills, you don't want to risk getting bitten. You don't want to end up, you know, it being in the carpet. You know, if your cat it doesn't like a spot-on, you don't want to end up with it all over your hands and not on the cat. So, Have that conversation. It's very, very important that your preferences are taken into account. That's the first thing. But there are also products that are less suitable in certain situations. So, for instance, some flea products aren't absorbed into the body. They work on the surface of the skin and the coat which absolutely fine, they work just as well that way, but it means there is the potential for them to be washed off, um, you know, either through frequent swimming uh, or shampooing. And, you know, there's many of us um, that are pets, um, you know, one of mine has skin problems, um, you know, needs regular shampooing. So in that situation, a a product that's absorbed into the body is going to be better uh, for you, you know. So it's going to be better in terms of how well it works, but it also means it's not being washed off, you know, into sort of waterways and into the environment. Um, All of these products, whichever product you're using has a data sheet and it will actually say how long to leave your pet before you sort of shampoo or wash. It's extremely important that you follow that advice because, you know, we don't want to wash this product off into the environment. Um, but also talk talk to your vet practice about it and which product is going to be the most suitable. If you don't, you know, for whatever reason, if you don't want to talk to a vet, you know, there are very well qualified, um, what are called SQPs. So, you know, sort of these sort of, you know, especially qualified people that work in pharmacies uh, and in different areas. Um, You know, I just encourage you to talk to someone who's trained about what the best product is and how to use it rather than, say, just nipping to your supermarket, take a powerful insecticide off the shelf and not be confident, you know, what you're doing with it. So, you know, that that would be my biggest piece of advice. Bear in mind that, you know, sort of flea products can get onto your hands they can get onto bedding, which is then subsequently washed and can get into waterways. So really, if you're going to use a spot on, which are, you know, they're very effective spot ons, you want to just make sure that, you know, it, its application is very targeted. And it's not all over you and it's not all over the furniture or all the bedding. So that's that's also very important and you know if you end up not using product for whatever reason and you, or you've got lots of empty packaging it's important to dispose of that appropriately so you know as far as possible we want empty packaging to get into landfill where there's a certain amount of protection rather than sort of being littered or you know sort of accidentally getting out into the garden and unused product should absolutely go back to your vet where it can be disposed of in a responsible manner. You know, if you've got a full pipette of insecticide, don't just throw it in the bin, you know, bring it back to your vet or or wherever you've got it from, you know, to deal with it in that fashion. And and finally, for things that are absorbed into the body, some of that inevitably is going to come out in the feces. Uh, And this is another very good argument for picking feces up. Um, You know, it's good to encourage cats to use litter trays. Now, I appreciate in the case of cats, we have limited control if they go outside as to where they can have a number two. But dogs, we have complete control. And there are just so many good reasons for, you know, picking up your dog's poo and disposing of it responsibly. So, you know, I really encourage people to do that as well. And, you know, those are just very simple things that we can do that inherently will limit some of that contamination.
0: That was a very, very insightful and very important information because... If we're using these products monthly, three monthly, depending on whatever product you're using, this information is really helpful in limiting the effect that we are having via pet ownership and the impact of your pet on the planet. Um, So amazing top tips from from that front. And what we love to do at the end of our podcast is to have a little expose on on people's pets. Ian, would you like to introduce your pet?
1: OK, um, so I, I have two dogs at the moment. Um, so I have Bella, who is, well, the, the breed formerly known as Mini Australian Shepherds. They're, they're now, after all hot political controversy that Bella is completely unaware of, the, <laughs> a breed has been renamed as now a Mini American Shepherd. But they're, they're, like, they're like collies, but that little bit smaller and, um, you know, very active. They're on the go all the time. So, you know, she wants to be off the lead. She wants to be playing. You know, she'll tolerate, a bit like a cat, she'll tolerate a bit of a cuddle. She'll be like, I'll oh, come here, you know, I'll let you, I'll let you cuddle me for a few minutes. But then she'll want to play with a ball again. So, you know, she'll be she'll be off. Then my other dog could not be any more different. This was um, a, a French bulldog called Stanley that we we adopted <laughs> from the practice. A client was. Struggling with Stanley because you know they they got sort of you know new new child in the house and Stanley had a lot of skin problems um, which they were struggling with so we agreed to take Stanley on and now Stanley's well and truly got his feet under the table <laughs> Stanley unlike Bella sleeps for twenty hours a day really and would just be cuddled all day and those four those four hours is awake eating is a top priority so he's probably a bit miserable now because he's owned by two vets and he's rationed and we've turned his body into a temple it looks like he's ready to compete in the olympics um but you know he's uh, yeah he just basically that's it he sleeps and lies on his back all day and um yeah yeah happy as larry so that's my two, and they're both, you know, well parasite control. They're both on their flea treatments. I can imagine. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it. Yeah, they're. I mean, Stanley's on all sorts because of his skin. To be fair, he's mm-hmm. like a sort of, you know, medical experiment, really. um You know, when something comes out, new skin product comes out. We're like, oh, Stanley might benefit from that. So, well, <laughs> but yeah other than that they're lovely healthy sort of yeah yeah well, I say young dogs uh Bella's getting on a bit now she's eight this year but uh...
0: oh lovely um do you have any top tips to take away for pet owners from listening to this conversation
1: I would say advice. That's what I would say. There's lots of prevention uh, that pets need, you know, to keep themselves healthy. So, you know, they need vaccinations. That's very, very important. And all pets are going to need a minimum of parasite control to keep themselves healthy and to keep you healthy as, as pet owners. Um, and you go on, you go on social media, you know, you'll go on all sorts of groups, and you'll get a bewildering amount of advice. Some of it will be good, um, some of it will be less informed. And I would, you know, wouldn't for a moment say to people not to get their advice from a variety of sources. But what I would say is always question how well qualified and how well researched that source is. And I think if you can, you know, if you can get good well-researched, evidence-based advice on, you know, how to look after your pets, you're going to go um, a long way. And, you know, I bet most, you know, all the vets I know are lovely and, you know, will happily chat to you on the phone um, about your pets, um, you know, your pet's preventative health and, you know, sort of, generally, we just like talking about pets in general, you know. 100 so, yeah, absolutely. First, first get into the profession for all sorts of reasons. Puppy cuddling is, you know, is a bonus. Isn't it really, it's none of us that don't love a good puppy cuddle. So, you know, bring your puppy in for a cuddle when, when we're allowed. You know, bring your puppy in for a cuddle, and you know, we'll we'll talk to you about parasite control, preventative health all day.
0: Yes, please. Please, please come in <laughs> anytime with a person. Yes, yes, isn't that we'll wonderful? It's wonderful when funny. people can just wander in you know,
1: whenever they like. Hopefully <laughs> we- that won't be too far away now. So,
0: Exactly. And we, again, just to reiterate, we're so pleased to be partnering with the SCAP to have these amazing resources available for you as a pet owner to learn more about the parasites that your pet's encountering, to learn more about um, treating your pets and and keeping them fit and healthy. Um, And we are always here for you for advice if you're reading something online that you would like to know more about. Um, please contact our vet team where we are here for you, we're available for you, but um, we do work with your vets. So speaking to your vets, speaking to a suitably qualified person um, all of those good things providing you with correct information again so important and thank you so much ian for joining us today it's um,
1: been my pleasure i'm, I'm looking forward fun. to working with you
0: I think <laughs> uh, yeah it's just
1: wonderful to get lots like, of good advice out there and don't don't forget you know if anybody does have any queries um they can always email um the sgap uk and ireland website look, li- livens up my Monday morning having a parasite <laughs> query.
0: So you know, feel feel free. Do you have? Do you know the email address?
1: Uh, we well, you know I should, <laughs> but if you put in um, if you put in ESCAP um, into Google or mm-hmm. other search engines are available, right. you'll get the European website. Uh, European, but you go to the national one: ESCAP UK or ESCAP UK and Islands um you know you'll see that there's a query box in there so um like i say we're we're, we're easy to find
0: (laughs) fantastic and that will all be available within the app so you can find the website within the app and their contact details and i'll also put that contact email in the show notes for anybody who is interested in learning more about parasites all right thank you so much my pleasure I hope everyone enjoys this podcast and we look forward to, to hearing your thoughts on the podcast. Fantastic. Bye.